the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 2. It's your hour. Anything on your mind, let me give you the phone number, 602-508-0960, Brandon Weikert will join us uh, in the third hour. I um, have a few things I wanted to share with you. I had an interest. This is kind of interesting. Um, and I, I, I suppose I have some mixed views on it, especially when I talk about the great books um, and how I wish so very much wish that um, not just the charter schools, but public schools would reintroduce them again. I was being interviewed by a, uh, a journalist uh, this morning. Uh, he was doing a, a profile of me. I'll, I'll share it with you when it comes out. Um, Hopefully it, <laughs> it won't be uh, <laughs> negative. But um, we started talking about books that influenced us, and even fictional books can do that. But I sometimes wonder if when they're assigned to us as kids or in high school, if we're still not quite too young to appreciate them. And, of course, sometimes it has to do with the teacher's ability to teach and talk about that book. We were both talking about how, quite coincidentally, I guess, we had, uh, as adults, within the past couple of years, both reread The Catcher in the Rye. Now, that's that's not in the category of great classics that I'm speaking of. That's not obviously Shakespeare, but it was a monumentally famous book, uh, Once Upon a Time, and we were just talking about how sometimes people are too young to appreciate uh, everything uh, that is in these books, perhaps because thesis I'm working on when they when when these more modern type books came out, um, you know, in the in the in the nineteen in the late nineteenth and and twentieth centuries, we were still dealing with a youth that was quite smart, quite advanced, quite experienced, quite knowledgeable. Today, you know effectively a college graduate is about as smart or as about well-educated as a high school student was on average 30 years plus ago. So we've lost a certain maturity and ability perhaps to appreciate these things. I was, we were talking about Catcher in the Rye and how we both reread it and how, um, unless you read it as an adult, you probably don't realize you're reading the writings of someone who's in a mental institute. Holden Caulfield is in a mental institute. And even still, uh, you, certain adults miss that when they read it. Uh, but that's certainly, um, anyway, just something I was thinking about when it comes to the maturity and the immaturity of our society. We, we wish to give them great scholarship. And again, I understand Catcher in the Rye may not qualify, though it is, I think, a big part of our culture. We wish to give them great scholarship but I wonder, you know, how much a 10th grader can understand or an 11th, excuse me, or an 11th grader or a 12th grader can understand Shakespeare or Plato's Republic 
Uh, first time I encountered it was in high school. It was assigned reading in a in a class I was taking, and I honestly uh, didn't recognize that book at all, Plato's Republic, from when I took it uh, in college and in graduate school. It was it was it it. I don't want to say these things are wasted on our youth. What I do want to say is I'd like to concentrate on ways and thinking about ways to get our youth back to where they used to be in the 50s, where, you know, the average college student today doesn't know as much as the average high school student did back so much so that the average high school student today knows what the average college student does. That's what I'd like to do. I'd like to see us somehow try and mature our youth and our society, rather than continually infantilize everyone um, and everything. All right. Um, Over the weekend, there was a big confab in uh, Nevada uh, sponsored by the Republican Jewish Coalition where a lot of uh, former elected officials and some cabinet members and some current elected officials for the Republican Party spoke, Ron DeSantis, Mike Pompeo, Mike Pence, a bunch of others. You may have seen Mike Pompeo saying that uh, this will be the first time he and Mike Pence uh, will be sharing a stage, but probably not the last. And they might even be given new nicknames. He was, of course, making a veiled reference to the way presidential primaries go when you're running against Donald Trump. You're on the same same stage and you get new nicknames. And um, it was a little bit of a laugh line, but it also had me concerned about. The issue of politics and self-knowledge, I mean, we can debate, and I'm happy to, and if you want to call in on this, I know it's still a hot topic of consideration. It's fine. We can debate whether we think Donald Trump is or is not the best uh, candidate to run for president as a Republican in 2024. Happy to take your opinions on that. Whether Ron DeSantis might be better, that was that was that that, that issue is not going to go away, and it's kind of been reinvigorated by Donald Trump's announcement of last week. But, you know, as many calls as I've heard to other talk radio shows, including this one, from people who support DeSantis and who support Trump and who say whether they'd vote for so-and-so in a general, but he wouldn't be their primary choice. I got to tell you, I have not heard, and maybe one of you has or some of you have, I have not heard a caller saying I'm a Pompeo guy. Or even I'm a Pence guy. These guys are perfectly, you know, perfectly good public servants. But it's not so much that I want them to read the room as it is. I want them to have a little bit of self-knowledge. Am I, am I, am I being too, um, too imperious in this point of view? Of course anyone can run if they want to. But I hate the waste of resources. I hate the waste of time. I hate the waste of both. When we all kind of know, don't we? We all kind of know there's really no pathway forward for Mike Pompeo or Mike Pence or some of the others that have been mentioned as getting the nomination for the presidency. I guess Nikki Haley's in that group, too. Don't we all kind of know that? Am I wrong? Am I being too judgmental? I'd love to know what you think about that, because for those that do support DeSantis— The more crowded the field, the less likely he gets the nod. For those that support Trump, um, I suppose it is better to have more people in the ring. 
But the only ironic thing about that is the only reason a Pence or a Pompeo or a Haley or anyone else is running is because they don't want Trump to get the nomination. Obviously, they want the nomination for themselves. But obviously, too, if they all worked for Donald Trump and they all did, they clearly don't want him to win. So I'm just I guess I'm asking the question, at what point do you just kind of say it's time for me to sit this one out? I was surprised when um, when Trump was first elected in 2016, um, uh, when when um, when the secretary of transportation he named was Elaine Chao. She had done and served in a lot of administrations before. And I was surprised to see another person at a secondary level in the cabinet getting a job. I think it was with the Department of Defense as an assistant secretary type. And they were getting, you know, a little in their years. And I said to a friend of mine in, who knows Washington, well, I said, why do these people want to go back and do this? Why do they want the grief? I mean, these people have made a lot of money. They've made their name. Why do they want to go back? He said, you either have it or you don't. There is an addiction to serving in an administration. There is an addiction that most people who haven't might not understand. And hopefully most people who have don't get. But. Once you're in, you know, you get very used. You get very used to the cars and the apparatuses of protection and the bureaucracy that you get to run and control. It is a danger, um, I think, obviously, to to the Republic to have a permanent bureaucratic class that works on, on a revolving door basis. But more so, doesn't it tell you that their judgment is off in its own way if they think they have a path forward to the presidency? Am I being too judgmental early on? Am I am I just missing it with Pence and Pompeo and Haley? Do they actually have a legitimate shot at this or do they have a fair chance at this at this race? Um, because I, I just got to tell you, I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear from you if you think so. But something tells me um, they're there for as much as people say Donald Trump only listens to his closest advisors. And doesn't listen to enough outside voices. I kind of worry about that with these other folks as well. I where is the support? I'm not even saying groundswell. Uh, I'm looking for a playground of support for these people. I kind of want to say, what the heck are you thinking? You don't have a shot. Quit wasting our time. Tell me if I'm being too uh, a priori and judgmental on this. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Let me say a word about bingo reverse mortgage. Inflation is slamming retirees. It's throwing retirement budgets into chaos. And with inflation at a 40-year high, the dollar isn't going as far as it did just months ago. With gas prices sky high, grocery prices increasing over 13% since the summer and a recession looming, aging adults are struggling to make ends meet. A reverse mortgage could be the safety net you need to get through these hard times by allowing you to convert the equity in your home into cash. A reverse mortgage could put more money in your pocket for living expenses, help you fight inflation, make your investments last longer, and give you the security in your retirement that you deserve. Call the veteran-owned and veteran staff bingo team at 928-277-4476. That's 928 928- Two seven seven four four seven six, or visit BingoReverseMortgage.com. Mention this radio ad and get a free appraisal, reimbursed at closing, a $1,000 value. 
I, I was uh, I'll return to a topic in a second here, but I was just thinking about that public service ad we all uh, just heard about one pill can kill. Um, I was doing a little research over the weekend, and for as much as you've heard maybe in this audience about the fentanyl crisis, or as much as you expect everyone knows about it um, by now, you'd be surprised. You can't assume too much knowledge um, at all, ever. Um, And you can't assume it whether you're speaking at a party or you're – I mean, how many times – well, let's go back to the monologue. I mean, you would think a liberal lefty news consumer like Rob Reiner, you would assume he's somewhat well-informed, at least with what's in the New York Times. He didn't know two months ago that the Hunter Biden laptop had been substantiated by the New York Times six months before that. You can't assume too much knowledge, which makes it very hard, of course, and very difficult to have conversations with people about matters of public policy. But even if it's something quasi-political, quasi-legal, like the Hunter Biden story, what about life and death stuff like the fentanyl crisis? If you watch Fox News, you probably know something about it. Or if you listen to shows like this, you might know something about it. But you can't assume too much. Let me give you an astoundingly eyebrow-raising statistic. Uh, Every two years, we put out, we, uh, the state puts out the Criminal Justice Commission, the state puts out the Arizona Youth Survey. Wouldn't it, doesn't it, shouldn't it surprise you that 60%, 60, 60% of high school seniors have never heard of fentanyl? The exact population you would want to know about it, right? The exact population that goes to these parties and that, you know, traffics or trades in certain forms of anesthesia at these parties, to put it, to put it plainly. Doesn't that surprise you? 60% don't know. You can't assume too much knowledge. I just, I wanted, high school seniors, I just wanted to, in Arizona, I wanted to, um, I just wanted to say that in response or in addition to that public service ad. Um, you can't do enough of this or you can't inform enough of this on enough of these things when it comes to these life and death issues. My gosh, I guess we're still struggling to get people to understand the Hunter Biden laptop has been substantiated. In my monologue, I had mentioned in the previous hour that CBS has just today come to the conclusion that it was authentic. And it's, um, you know, welcome to the party, pal, I guess. Uh, but, you know, that that that's that's been around for a while now. Uh, two years ago, the New York Post and the Daily Mail substantiated it, and it took till March of this year for the New York Times. And now CBS thinks they're doing us a favor by admitting that it is real, um, that it is that it is authentic. By the way, isn't it kind of interesting? A woke company like CBS. People remember what CBS stands for. It's not Central Broadcasting Service or System. It's Columbia. Columbia Broadcasting System. Kind of interesting with all the debates that go on regarding Christopher Columbus from once the name Columbia comes, that uh, they have not decided to change their name the way uh, so many, uh, I guess, sports teams do with their emblems, etc. I just don't have a lot of respect for these massive organizations anymore. And it and it and it befuddles me. It perplexes me how they stay in business. It is not news for them to report this today about the Hunter Biden. I mean, if 
if they treated any other news story that way, I think they would be totally out of business because it's not news. It's not news when the New York Post beat you to the punch by two and a half years or the Daily Mail. And it's not news when the New York Times beat you to the punch by five months. Uh, Better just stay quiet, don't you think, and assume we all know and they reported it already, wouldn't you think? I would think. Anyway, there is an op-ed by Jonathan Turley, the uh, law professor, uh, on this um, at uh, at Fox News that I wanted to go through with you. Uh, He writes, the Biden family's influence peddling has always been a scandal left to the eye of the beholder. For some, it was dismissed as Russian disinformation or more recently, simply the result of a drug addicted son of the president. Neither is true, but Hunter Biden has always been an example of motivated perception or perceptual bias where we tend to see what we want to see and turn a blind eye to what we don't want to see. The phenomenon was on full display this week in an Associated Press article that made an extraordinarily an extraordinary claim. This is the AP, another theoretically respected news organization. They claimed there is no evidence even suggesting that President Joe Biden ever spoke to his son about foreign dealings. The AP said that this week. Now, as Turley writes, I previously previously discussed how the Bidens have succeeded in a Houdini-like trick in making the elephant of a scandal disappear from the public stage. They did so by enlisting the media and the illusion However, this level of audience participation in the trick truly defies belief. The statement of the Associated Press at this stage of the scandal is breathtaking, but telling. Quote, Joe Biden has said he's never spoken to his son about his foreign business and nothing the Republicans have put forth suggests otherwise. Close quote. Does that strike you as some kind of weird editorializing? Anyway, Hurley writes... For years, the media has continued to report President Biden repeated claims that I have never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. At the outset, the media only had to suspend any disbelief that the president could fly to China as vice president with his son on Air Force Two without discovering his planned business trips, his planned business dealings on the trip. Yeah, you would think that you would have to say, and by the way, son, uh, what meetings will you be doing? Why are you on this plane with me? And uh, let me come back to this because... It is odd the way we fool ourselves into thinking what we want to think and fooling ourselves into accepting lies that we just know are lies. We'll be right back. Zero two fifty eighty nine sixty. Someone uh, emailed me during the break saying, how do you propose to reach those 60 percent of high school seniors that have never heard of fentanyl? And I can do a lot on this if you want, but I'll I'll just make a very simple point here for now because I want to return to the other topic for a moment. Um, What percentage of high school students, um, even once the schools were, well, let me put it this way. What percentage of 17 and 18-year-olds do you think heard of COVID? Do you realize that there were nearly 300% more poisoning deaths of our youth just last year in Arizona than from COVID in all three years. When we want to message something, we know damn well how to message it. We did it with COVID, which didn't touch our youth. We can do it for this, which does. Again, 300% more deaths in one year from drug poisonings in Arizona 
than from almost three years of COVID. Anyway, uh, if I can go back to um, if I can go back to Jonathan Turley, this really is an astounding news story to me, and 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 it's it's astounding at so many levels. Uh, the least of it is that anything you know anything having to do with Donald Trump Jr. or Eric Trump, any of President Trump's children, any possible scandalous, any potentially eyebrow-raising business dealings would have gotten the old Mike Wallace treatment. Whereas here, even the AP just this past week could write, quote, Joe Biden has said he's never spoken to his son about foreign business, his foreign business, and nothing the Republicans have put forward suggests otherwise. Close quote. That's the AP. Turley writes, for years, the media has continued to report President Biden's repeated claim that I have never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. At the outset, the media only had to suspend any disbelief that the president could fly to China as vice president with his son on Air Force Two without discussing his planned business dealings on the trip. Of course, the emails on the laptop quickly refuted this claim. However, the media buried the laptop story before the election or pushed the false claim that it was fake Russian disinformation. President Biden's denials continued even after an audio tape surfaced showing President Biden leaving a message for Hunter, specifically discovering coverage of those dealings. The call is specifically referring to these dealings. How many of you remember this? Quote, hey, pal, it's dad. It's 815 on Wednesday night. If you get a chance, just give me a call. Nothing urgent. I just wanted to talk to you. I thought the article released online, it's going to be printed tomorrow in the Times, was good. I think you're clear. And anyway, if you get a chance, give me a call. I love you. I think you're clear. Who are you going to believe? The media or Joe Biden? Some of us have written for two years that Biden's denial of knowledge is patently false. It was equally evident that the Biden family was selling influence and access. There are emails of Ukrainian and other foreign clients thanking Hunter Biden for arranging meetings with his father. There are photos from dinners and meetings that tie President Biden to these figures, including a 2015 dinner when Joe Biden was vice president with a group of Hunter Biden's Russian and Kazakh clients. People apparently were told to avoid directly referring to President Biden. In one email, Tony Bobulinski, then a business partner of Hunter's, was instructed by Biden associate James Gelliar not to speak of the former Veep's connection to any transactions. Quote, don't mention Joe being involved. It's only when you are face to face. I know you know that, but they are paranoid. Close quote. Instead, the emails apparently refer to President Biden with code names such as Celtic or the big guy. In one the big, the big guy is discussing, excuse me, and one, the big guy is discussed as possibly receiving a 10% cut on a deal with a Chinese energy firm. Other emails reportedly refer to Hunter Biden paying portions of his father's expenses and taxes. And the AP can just get away with this? Can we have hearings on this? Can we have hearings on bias in media coverage? Or will the media abstain from being put in front of a congressional committee because it will interfere with their First Amendment rights. And if they do make that claim, will it not be a little bit hypocritical for them to be claiming a First Amendment protection when they were censoring the New York Post itself?
Yeah, they've created quite a ball of wax here. We'll be right back. If you are worried about stock market volatility, why refi has an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return not correlated to the stock market. It's a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose. There is no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Your interest is compounded daily. You are paid monthly and there are no fees. This is a secure, collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm and you can earn up to 10.25% rate of return. That's right, up to 10 and a quarter percent. Just check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call them at 888-YREFI-34. That's 888-YREFI-34. I was talking earlier about uh, the issue of transgenderism. It's one of these issues that's kind of inversely treated by the population and the grand censors. I would venture to say that if asked privately, if 90% of the population, I mean, if asked privately, if you're buying this stuff with kids uh, or young adults making these uh, life-altering and sex-altering decisions, I would I, I would venture to say about 90% of Americans, if they knew it was a merely private discussion, would be not on board with it. And yet it is the one thing you seem to write about for those that are publicly comfortable arguing the point. It's the one thing that really gets you banned, really really is the one thing that, that gets the censors going on social media. Someone sent this to me, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how far this goes. Pentagon, this is from Fox News, Pentagon promotes critical race theory, gender identity, Insanity, according to a new report, the Biden administration has launched extensive diversity and equity initiatives in the military that have popularized elements of critical race theory and gender identity and significantly weakened the U.S. armed forces, according to report obtained exclusively by Fox News. Our military's singular purpose is to provide for the common defense of our nation, the report said. It cannot be turned into a left-wing social experiment. It cannot be used as a cudgel against America itself, and it cannot be paralyzed by fear of offending the sensibilities of Ivy League faculty lounges or progressive pundits. The world is a dangerous place, and the Biden administration's insanity is eroding our greatest source of security in it. The report from Senators... Senator Marco Rubio and Representative Chip Roy of Texas details how the military has allocated resources to root out extremism within its ranks as it promotes predominantly left-wing ideas on race and gender. This includes documentation on how military employees promoted critical race theory and espouse anti-white views. For example... Less than a month after his appointment by President Biden, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin directed commanding officers and supervisors at all levels to schedule a day to discuss extremism. However, by the way, why wouldn't that be at the Department of Justice? Why is that in the military? In any event, a report from the Biden administration came forth. It's called Countering Extremist Activity Working Group. 
did an entire investigation of extremism in the military. Guess what that big report found? How much extremism in the military, you think, Bill? Fewer than 100 cases in a 2.1 million active force. Five one-thousandths of a percent. Probably less than most institutions, to be honest with you. Probably less, be my guess. Five-thousandths of a percent. The report finds that instructors at military academies use anti-racist approaches to education that direct soldiers to center their understanding of American society on acknowledgement of its racist past and present, the report said. The Department of Defense, however, has emphasized that it doesn't teach critical race theory and is focusing on challenging its military students intellectually and rooting out extremism. I guess the question I have is how important this is at the um, military academies, which is a highly self-selecting thing and highly selective thing in the first place. I mean, why do, do you think anyone is joining the military to perpetrate a version of America as racist? Or do you think they're joining the military because they believe America is the last best hope of Earth? It's a very odd thing to put there. Rubio said these race-based initiatives are a danger to American security. Quote, rather than making the case for American greatness and protecting our nation, the military is parroting woke nonsense. It's dumb. It doesn't work. And it's dangerous. We need to spend more time thinking about how to counter Chinese aircraft carriers and less time thinking about pronouns. Amen to that. Of course that's right. Some examples of woke defense policies have spilled out into the press. Kalisa Wing, the chief diversity, equity, and inclusivity officer at the Department of Defense, has tweeted she is, quote, exhausted with these white folks, FOLX, at the Department of Defense, and suggesting that, uh, in the same memo, people of color are themselves incapable of racism. So that's the Department of Defense, folks where we have a chief diversity, equity, and inclusivity officer. I haven't looked into this, but I'm guessing if we have a chief diversity, equity, and inclusivity officer, means we have a division of equity and inclusivity. Why else would you have a chief of it? Something tells me she's not a one-man division or a one-woman or one-folk or one-folks division. I, I don't want to get in trouble here. Bishop Garrison, another diversity... Oh, yes, I'm right. They do have more than one. Bishop Garrison, another diversity official at the agency. <laughs> I should have just kept... <laughs> yes. Okay. That's called precursion or foreshadowing. Bishop Garrison, another diversity official at the agency, has promoted not only critical race theory through his praise of the 1619 Project, um, a controversial education project that describes slavery at the core of American history but focuses on diversity as his entire curricular obligation. And I saw earlier today, attached to this report, I saw a, um, I saw a hearing with uh, the head of naval operations uh, being asked about some of this stuff about a little while ago. And he was asked to answer a question, and his answer was, I don't know, but I can tell you one thing. Diversity is our greatest strength. Diversity is our greatest strength. This is just one of these phrases we throw around that the moment you try and inspect it or break it down, it simply makes no sense. It falls apart 
of its own weight, doesn't it? I could see diversity being a strength in certain things. I suppose on Sesame Street it's important because and, – and perhaps in other children's programming it might be important. I suppose the problem being that that's probably some of the least diverse programming there is. That having been said, this idea that diversity is our greatest strength. Am I missing something? Uh, how is diversity I, – I, all for it if we can get it. All for it. I, I, you know, the non-racial, uh, non-sexual, non judgmental ethos should predominate. But to make a fetish of it as our greatest strength, please tell me what I'm missing. How is it so? How is it so, especially in the military? Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I'd like to finish this story. I, I just This is such a disturbing thing. For years, we talked about hard America and soft America, and we're hoping that maybe hard America would reach into the elements of soft America. Um, but soft America is so uh, pervasive that it's reached into hard America, i.e. the officer class of the and the upper echelons of the United States military. From this story, the focus on diversity, the uh, Marco uh, Rubio report notes, even extends to the U.S. Special Operations Command, which oversees special ops conducted for national security. The group's diversity and, inclu- and inclusion strategic plan which all agencies were required to submit in response to an executive order from President Biden, stated, quote, that leaders must integrate diversity and inclusion efforts into unit goals, mission objectives, talent management initiatives, and operational priorities for successful implementation. Break that down any way you want, folks, but fixate on this mission objective for me, would you? Leaders must integrate diversity and inclusion efforts into mission objectives? Really? Really? How about we just kill the bad guy? Or how about we just engage in force protection, whatever it takes, without someone saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, Joe. Wait a minute, Captain. Do we have the mission objective in tune with the integration of diversity and inclusion that we're supposed to? Awful. Awful. All right, Brandon Weicker coming right up. Don't go away. We will be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 